From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And don't look now, but we only have two weeks left before the next funding deadline and potential government shutdown. The deadline is November 17. Same situation. They need to pass a stopgap funding measure to avoid a shutdown. And there's still no sign of a stopgap bill. The Speaker, Mike Johnson, has said that he was working furiously over the weekend to to get one. We don't know where that stands. And meanwhile, the House is racing ahead trying to pass more of its full-year appropriations bills. For some reason, we're not sure what, because they have no chance of becoming law and um, they won't pass in time anyway uh, before the November 17 deadline. But that is the game plan. And the Senate, too, is trying to do some of its bills. We'll talk about that. And at the same time, this is a busy week. The House and Senate are wrestling with an emergency spending package. The House had passed a measure just for Israel. The Senate has declared that dead on arrival. They're eager to attach Ukraine aid and more to that. We'll talk about that too. We've got a lot to chew on this morning and joining me for that conversation is John Donnelly, a senior defense writer at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, John. Nice to be here, Dave. And Caitlin Riley, who covers banking and financial services and does a bit of everything now, and including appropriations at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. So where to begin? I guess first, John, let's let's deal with this emergency package because um, you know the House did ram through it was it was Mike Johnson's first really major legislative success, you could say, as as the new speaker. He did get it passed on a party line vote, fourteen point three billion dollars for Israel, but it's not going anywhere. He combined that with cuts to the IRS that Democrats fiercely oppose. That's not going anywhere. So they know this bill has to be rewritten. Uh, Where do you think it goes from here? Lord knows, David. (laughs) That's all I have to say. No. That's a good Um, answer. (laughs) Well, as you pointed out, we've got the a week from Friday, the the current stopgap funding bill runs out. So it's... uh, the thing, the sort of smart thinking seems to be that that this supplemental will uh, merge, dovetail into that, uh, into some some sort of CR. But it's it's incredible how far apart the two chambers are, even without knowing what the Senate supplemental will look like. It's almost certain to contain not only the fourteen point three billion dollars for Israel, but also all sorts of other stuff. That um, that was left out of the House bill. Number one is Ukraine money. Uh, number two is humanitarian aid for both Israel, Ukraine, and others. Uh, number three is um, money for the U.S. submarine industrial base to help them help sub- Australia build submarines as well as build submarines for the U.S. arsenal. Uh, the president also asked for money for border security programs. At the same time, Republicans are insisting on their own border security programs, many of which uh, will be anathema to Democrats. And then the last major piece that I see out there is the possibility of domestic funding 
uh, being included in this national security supplemental. Remember, the president asked for $56 billion in domestic uh, uh, programs. So I, I would wager that most, if not all of those things will be in the Senate bill and that the real action will happen next week as the deadline for the uh, stopgap bill's expiration gets closer. And then the House will be forced to either swallow what the Senate has sent over or shut the government down. And enough of them are okay with shutting the government down that I would say that that's a pretty decent possibility. Yeah, I mean, that is intriguing now is that we could be looking at a major, major package that sort of combines everything with the stopgap bill. That would really set up a fight that conservatives will not like. It would depend how much bipartisan support it has, so you could jam it through even over some some opposition from the conservative and freedom caucus folks in the House. Um, but that's a wild card at that point. I mean that. But but as you say, the, the, with only two weeks left, there isn't much time to do these separately anymore. It, it it is it is a wonder whether they can even, you know, take these up one by one, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the government funding is the only actual deadline with a date attached to it, right? The Israeli, the Israel money for Israel, Ukraine, etc. While many would argue it's urgent, um, it, it act doesn't actually have a deadline attached to it. So. It's possible that they don't get all the things I just listed done by November 17th, right? The one thing they have to decide on, whether they actually do it or not, is funding, is keeping the government's lights on, right? Um, and uh, what I'm saying is if, 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 as I expect to happen, the Senate sends to the House something with a lot of different things it doesn't like, or Republicans in the House don't like, maybe a few things they do like. It's going to be a hard choice. Now, I'm not. I don't know for sure that this is how it's going to going to shape up. It's possible. What I'm saying is, it's possible that uh, they just extend the CR to either mid December or mid January, and then defer for however many weeks these other questions on on Ukraine, Israel, border, Australia, U.S. subs, etc. Yeah, that is a possibility, but they, they, they are wanting to get this done pretty quickly because Israel, after all, is at war. They don't want to be accused of uh, holding up uh, really needed military aid to Israel, I don't think. So it would, there is urgency there to, to move quickly, I think, at least on Israel. And they know they can't do Israel alone now because the Senate won't let that happen. So there is an to to sort of combine it into some kind of supplemental package and the problem, of course, is that you've got Republicans very divided now over Ukraine aid. And, you know, they it, it did not go on notice that that while Israel would get $14 billion in the president's package, Ukraine would get 60 or $61 billion in, in for, for military assistance. I mean, there's a hell of a lot more money for Ukraine in the president's package than there was for Israel. Now, that's based on the, the White House would say that's based on need. I mean, that Israel just couldn't actually use that much more. And and the $14 billion is what Israel had requested. So it's not, you know, but but still that doesn't sit well with a lot of Republicans who don't want another dime to go to Ukraine right now for a variety of reasons. And how you thread that needle is going to be a real hurdle, I think, in getting a package together. And as you say, you've got Democrats fighting for domestic spending at the same time. You've got Democratic senators... 
that sent out a letter saying they want an equal amount of funding for domestic initiatives as, to, to foreign, which it, that won't happen. They won't be equal. But but you would think that Senate Democratic leaders are going to insist on some dem- domestic money in this package. We know they want money for child care. There's been a push for disaster relief. You'd think those are going to be fertile ground for for inclusion here too. And so you see this package getting bigger and bigger. And of course, the bigger it gets, the more unwieldy it gets and the more difficult it gets to pass. Well, yeah, but right. And the size of it is going to be something that would turn off a lot of House Republicans. But, but you know, if there's something in there for enough of the right people to get it through, uh, then, then bigger may be better. I guess my point is that given all of these difficult things, that and, and border security is another one, right? Because the parties have completely different ideas about how to approach that. And so, yeah, there are a lot of different wild cards here, which is why I think the odds are not insignificant that the result is either a shutdown or, or some sort of CR that doesn't deal with even most of these issues. Um, and as far as the urgency goes, yeah, I do think that there is a perception, especially uh, about Israel, that the money is needed quickly. But it's a bit of a misperception because if you look at if you look at the package, a lot of the money is for new uh, procurement uh, stuff that hasn't even you know gone through the that isn't even on the production lines yet, like uh, more uh, Iron Dome. Uh, uh, Anti rocket batteries. That stuff has to be produced. It's not going to arrive there overnight, right? There's even there's even more than a billion dollars in there for a laser version of that system called uh, Iron Beam. That not only is it not being produced yet, it's still in development, right? So it's not there. A lot. I would say close to half of that stuff is not going to arrive, uh, or, or more. It's not going to arrive anytime soon. So it's a little bit of a misperception that this is some urgent package. Okay, that's a good point too. And what qualifies as an emergency is up is in the eye of the beholder. You could argue some of that that the submarine funding for Australia, in particular, strikes me as not an emergency by any stretch of the imagination. It takes years and years to build a submarine. I mean, I don't know how that gets wrapped up into this, but uh, and and the Senate leaders have not mentioned that, by the way. So that could be one that goes by the wayside. We'll see. You raised though a good point. We should say about the border stuff because. Republicans do seem to have settled on a strategy here of saying, if there's going to be any more money for Ukraine, there's going to be border security measures attached to it. That seems to be their new bottom line. And you, we were hearing this argument over and over now that if we're going to help defend Ukraine's border, we've got to defend our border here at home. Very different situations. One's a war, one's a sort of a humanitarian mess. But that is the equation, that is the link they're making. And so that could be the new bottom line, and we are going to, and we do have some Republicans now in the Senate working on their own border policy measures. They say it's not enough just to put in extra money; they want to see changes in border policies, revising the asylum laws, and other things to make it tougher for people to come in. That's going to get a lot of pushback, and we, I think we're going to we're supposed to see that proposal come out this week as we tape on Monday. That could also influence the shape of this package. So a lot of a lot of balls in the air here. Nothing is settled, and we haven't even talked about the fact that the stopgap measure itself is is a wild card right now with no concrete definition. Right? We, I mean, we saw the speaker come out and say he'd prefer a stopgap measure that extends current funding through January fifteenth. 
But Democrats seem pretty eager to shorten that timeline and get this done by the end of this year. So that's one battle. And then we even heard the speaker talk about what he called a laddered CR, which is a new kind of a new concept that no one's really talked about before, which is you make different federal agencies funding expire at different times. So you have a rolling set of deadlines and, and shutdown threats, uh, which sounds hopelessly complicated. Uh, it doesn't seem like that can go very far. I think Democrats ridiculed it pretty quickly, but even that may still be on the table. So just figuring out the shape of a CR is going to be a hurdle here. And there's only two weeks left to go, Caitlin, which brings me to where we are on appropriations because the focus should be on this stopgap measure. Instead, with only two weeks left, the focus has been on passing their full-year appropriations bills that are that are way late already. Yeah. Last week, we're taping Monday. So last week, we saw the Senate pass its first three fiscal 2024 appropriations bills on um, Wednesday that it, it passed with overwhelming bipartisan support, but it took the better part of October and some of September to actually um, get that to the floor and vote on final passage after they were able to agree to almost, I think it was about 40 amendments. Yeah, that had stalled for weeks. You had covered it uh, in and out. I mean, what took so long? That, those were, those were th- probably the easiest three of the dozen annual bills they could pass. And even that package took so long to get across the floor. Yeah, I started covering this back in late September when they started having um, fights over which amendments would be um, included for for floor votes on the package. And they, I think, finally passed it November 1st. So, yeah, the, the process takes an extremely long time. In the House, they've been moving more quickly through the bills, but they're not even, I mean, they've, they've run into trouble there even getting support from all of the Republicans on um, measures Republican leadership has put forward. So it's a, it's a bit of a mess. And we should say, I mean, the Senate bills are bipartisan, right? So they do, a, they would actually have a chance of actually becoming law, whereas the House bills are all partisan measures written by Republicans have no chance of becoming law, and and a lot of them may still not get across the House floor. But the difference is the, the House, through its rules, can ram through these partisan bills and, and pretend they're making great progress, whereas the Senate may have bipartisan bills, but it takes them forever to get a single one passed. These are, these are all for the fiscal year that began on October 1st, we should say. They're already late. And even if they were to get them passed in their own respective chambers, they have no chance of becoming law anytime soon. They still have to be conferenced between the two chambers. You know, this is the broken appropriations process that has been with us now for maybe a quarter century, but that's the world they live in. It was fascinating to see too, Caitlin, I mean, the House has now passed, I think, seven of its 12 bills, but the toughest ones are still to come. And we've already seen them beginning to unravel on the House floor, right? Yeah, absolutely. So last week, they were supposed to start debate and voting on the the transportation housing bill. Um, You saw that plan get withdrawn late Thursday um, because there were House Republicans based along the Northeast Corridor who had issues with 
the deep cuts the bill would make to Amtrak funding. I think it would cut um, Amtrak spending for Amtrak by about 64% from fiscal 23 levels. And so you saw House Republicans who are based um, in New York and kind of along that Northeast corridor start rumbling about opposition to the bill. And you saw that get pulled. They're supposed to um, start debate again on this bill this evening. We should say on that transportation HUD bill, I mean, there were probably only a handful of Republicans who actually object to it because of the Amtrak cuts. But a handful in the House is all you need, right? Because these are partisan bills that have no Democratic support. So they can't afford to lose more than probably four Republican votes and the bill will will sink. And so you had, you had these Republicans mostly from the Northeast, not entirely, objecting to the Amtrak cuts and some other rail funding, I think, putting their foot down and saying, no, that's too steep for us. We can't swallow this threatening to, to vote against the bill. And then the thing unravels and they had to punt it. And they, they are supposed to come back to it this week now and, and come up with some kind of rescue plan. Yeah, that's what we've heard. And then I think to illustrate the issue they're going to have or the challenges they're going to have is when the rules committee passed the rule, um, they okayed floor votes for about a dozen amendments offered by by Republicans that would make further cuts to the bill. So you have, um, you know, one contingent of Republicans objecting to cuts to specific programs while on the other kind of side of the issue, you have others who are pushing for, for more cuts. And like you said, with the House so um, narrowly divided, you can only lose um, a handful of votes within your own party before it uh, before it sinks. Right. And we already saw them uh, not be not unable to pass their agriculture funding bill. Um, that went down in flames uh, because the cuts were too severe for some, not, not strict enough for others. And there was a policy fight over the abortion pill wrapped up in that bill. And so all of a sudden support for that bill vanished. I mean, these are the tougher bills now, not to mention Two of their House bills couldn't even get markups in the full Appropriations Committee because they were so controversial. That includes the biggest non-defense bill every year, which is the one funding the health health department, education department, labor department. I don't even know what the status of that bill is now. There's there's deep cuts there that, that a lot of moderate Republicans will find difficult, I think, to swallow, and then there won't be the votes to pass it on the House floor. It sounds like passing the remainder of these House bills could be a real mess. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> um, we should we should know more in the next uh, today and, and tomorrow about the, the transportation HUD bill. But yeah, I would agree <laughs> that it seems like there's a, a narrow path to passage in the House. A real mess would be a good title for the podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, then, and then just in the Senate, Caitlin, can you bring us up to date? Because they did pass that one package of three bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did have bipartisan support, finally, broadly. But there, and then the appropriations chair, Patty Murray, said she was going to confer about the next set of bills, making it sound like they wanted to take up another of these so-called minibus packages. I have a hard time believing they're going to get to that this week. And attention is turning to the emergency spending and to the stopgap measure they need. Should we really expect to see any more of the regular Senate bills come across the Senate floor? 
I, in the short term, I would imagine they're going to have to shift focus pretty quickly to the supplemental request and a CR. Um, And if you look at the amount of time from when they tried to bring up this package in late September to when they were able to pass it, even though it had really strong bipartisan support, um, that was about a month. Um, And so funding for the government's going to run out um, halfway through this month. And so it seems unlikely that they'll have the bandwidth uh, to a vote to devote floor time to another minibus, you know, anytime soon. I think I agree with that. I, I don't see how they can come up with another another minibus package uh, right now. It seems like attention is 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 shifting uh, by necessity, and there won't be the the commitment to to take that up, get it organized, negotiate. An agreement for amendments on the floor. They're going to spend countless days on that. It's hard to envision, even though Murray did say they were going to confer on the next package. But count me skeptical, I guess, that um, we're going to see that. I think what we are going to see pretty quickly now, John, is this is this emergency package in the Senate that has to emerge because they're they're ditching the House Israel bill and they're ready to go forward with their own. We haven't seen anything yet. Do you do you expect to see it this week? I'm not sure. I'm not sure on the timing on that. I mean, as we as we discussed a little earlier, you know, there are a whole bunch of moving parts to this machine. So if they're going to jam the house, as they say, they're gonna like basically give the house a take it or leave it on the eve of the of the shutdown, which which I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Then I think most of the action will be will be next week, but we may see something uh, emerge uh, this week. Um, but it like like we were saying, you know, uh, I, I do I do agree that the AUKUS uh, Australian UK US submarine money is is you know something that I would not be surprised to see jettisoned. I think you are you are certainly going to see something pertaining to the border. Well, both what the president asked for and something to throw a bone to to Republicans. And then I think you'll also see some domestic money, certainly not on the order of the $56 billion that the president uh, asked for. And uh, obviously the Ukraine Ukraine money too, in addition to, to the Israel, Israel money, which has bipartisan support. So I think they're going to try to do it, go big, right? But again, the stuff that they throw in to make one side happy risks making another side unhappy. And then, you know, when you get back over to the House, the, the members over there, you know, at least in a, cer- a certain um, extreme segment of the Republican Party, it's not clear that they are even interested in governing, right? So a shutdown may be what they actually want, and they may end up getting it, uh, at least for a little while. And even if the CR, this question of whether it goes to December or January, you can postpone the reckoning, but you can't avoid it, right? Whether you're talking about deciding how much money to provide and in what ways for a supplemental, or whether you're talking about the fiscal 2024 bills, the reckoning is coming. (laughs) It's just a question of whether it's November 17th, December 15th, or January 15th. Well- the deadline is November 17 for, for, for needing something. And so it's my prerogative as the moderator of this podcast to force guests to make predictions. 
So I'm going to ask each of you, are we going to see a shutdown on November 17? I say yes. I say yes because maybe it'll only last a few days and then and then we'll see what happens. But it seems to me that there, the, the, the extreme right part of the House Republican caucus is sort of um, un, unsatisfiable in a lot of ways. And, and this is going to be a, probably a big package and it's going to contain a lot that they don't like. So I think it's more likely than not that we have a shutdown. Okay, you're on the record, John. Caitlin? I would guess yes, but with the caveat that I thought we would get one after September 30th, and <laughs> we were wrong there. So I'm, uh, I'm not sure, but that would, be, that would be my guess. Okay, you're both on the record, and the advantage I have with moderator is I don't have to make a prediction. So we will see if yours proved true or not. But that's all the time we have for today. If you like what you heard here, you should subscribe to the CQ Budget Podcast. It hits your inbox every morning The Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. My thanks to John Donnelly and Caitlin Riley for joining me today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. You can find all of our coverage at CQ.com or RollCall.com. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time. Thank you.